Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Tammy Munson, the producer here of the show. Now, Dr. Christine will be returning to the podcast next week. So again, we are sharing one of her absolute favorites. Now, today on the show, we are replaying one of her favorite interviews from the Body Electric 2.0 Summit. In this interview, Dr. Christine sits down with Zachary Fetter to discuss the most common developmental stages and pitfalls of the chronic illness journey. Due to so many people being diagnosed with chronic illness right now, this is such a timely interview. Now, Zachary is an expert in the psychosomatic and spiritual stages of chronic illness. He currently works in virtual private practice with the autonomic response testing community of naturopaths, energy workers, and shamans. He embraces a wide variety of modalities, including developmental psychology, Jungian, transpersonal hypnotherapy, and family constellation. For more information about Zachary, please visit ZacharyFetter.com. So without further ado, here is Dr. Christine's interview with Zachary. Welcome, Zach. I'm really thrilled for you to be here. Hi, Dr. Schaffner. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. We've It's always a joy to speak to you and to kind of share all these ideas. And yeah, I was thinking a lot about today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I know you have so much insight and we work together um, in a team environment treating mm-hmm. these complex chronic illnesses. And, you know, many of uh, the people who are listening and might be one of those people or might know one of those um, people, maybe their loved one or a friend or a family member. I mean, when we see the rise of chronic illnesses today, many people are touched by someone in their community yeah. who's gone through this experience. And, you know, I do a lot of education, of course, on you know, what are the physical factors and what modern yeah. we're up against, but there's this whole other framework and perspective that I think is really important and going through a year, like we've all gone through um, in 2020, as we're <laughs> recording this, you know, I, I think it's a really important insight to talk about the sp- spiritual significance of the chronic illness journey. So where should we begin? Yeah, well, this is, I just thank you again for, you know, the opportunity to talk about this, because it's one of those things that having gone through my own journey, I really understood it. I was already deeply enmeshed in the psychological and the spiritual world even before I got sick. And then I got sick and it lasted, you know, a good seven years and really pretty much a full decade. And it was only afterwards looking back that I realized that this was an archetypal journey. This is a journey that has a pattern. Then when I got this, you know, incredible opportunity to work with you and at Sophia and in this incredible team that was just a real wormhole of, of, of wisdom and, and heartbreak and pain and illumination and insight, I started to see this pattern over and over again. And I started to realize, oh my gosh, this is realer than I had previously believed it was. Uh, and I believed it was real prior to that. So this was like a real uh, kind of a stamping down. And what I wanted to do today was really frame up for people what this meta perspective is of, of kind of the hidden psychosomatic, spiritual hero's journey that, that really kind of takes place within the experience of illness and, and specifically chronic illness. Mm-hmm. Um, because we, we, we get pieces of a lot of the time, but I, I haven't quite even heard myself, someone really kind of pan out. I, I won't go so far as to say the whole thing, but really a general template of like, this is what's going on. And not only just from our perspective or from our patient's perspective, but from the perspective of the stories that have been told over the course of human history. I mean, that's how deep it goes. You know, these are stories that go back 6,000 years. And I want to kind of kind of tie that in because it's, 
it's kind of mind-blowing and heart-opening to realize that we're experiencing that as individuals now. And it seems as if the planet is also undergoing that, you know, on a, on a kind of a meta perspective layer. And so where I'd probably begin with that is this idea that, you know, it, it's probably obvious to many of us, mm -hmm. um, certainly on this summit, that, that we're undergoing a kind of global death and rebirth, <laughs> not just from COVID-19, but really within a, a much larger that's been building for, for years, if not decades, that is, it's a kind of a cultural and institutional death and rebirth. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been struggling through that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in one way or another, this transition point has taken place before, as I said, in the, in the kind of the absolute wealth of archetypal stories. And you could go back to Greek mythology. You could go back to the Babylonian Enuma Elish, you know, you go back to the Torah, the Bible, the Quran. I mean, go back to one of the, the earliest epic tale that we have of Gilgamesh, which is basically a 5,000 year old story. Mm -hmm. And those patterns are still the same there. And what we mean by archetypal, so that if, you know, if people aren't familiar with that term, these are stories that reveal fundamental human patterns in psycho-spiritual evolution, Right? And they take place reliably and repeatedly with multiple variations, of course. We all have our idiosyncratic you know, journey along that one, but, but they are repeatable over time. So they're kind of like inviolable patterns, almost like conception to gestation to childbirth, right? Mm -hmm. Or of course, the caterpillar, you know, the chrysalis, the butterfly, or even just you know, Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey, which is one of the most well-known. Mm -hmm. And so there are variations on that. But if you start to really see that pattern, it can help someone who's going through chronic illness. Mm -hmm. Someone who's going through like years long illness, this pattern starts to be something that you could kind of grip onto for dear life. And it can support you through in, in multiple, multiple ways, even just in the pop culture references. Cause of course, creatives in the movie industry and in Hollywood, I mean, all the best stories that we know and we, we adore, there's a reason we love them. And it's because they're coherent with our psychology. Stories that are not coherent with psychology, they kind of fall by the wayside. Mm -hmm. The ones that last the test of time, you know, those are the ones that really kind of stick to us. They're going to be working this pattern and that can be very, very valuable for us. And so it's a reiterating sync sequence. And that's a really good thing because it, it gives us an idea of not just what we're going through, but what might be ahead mm -hmm. um, if we're able to see it. And so before I kind of go into that, I'd like to offer just a little bit more context as well with this idea of the relationship that we have as individuals going through this mm -hmm. with the planet, mm -hmm. right? the kind of the idea that the planet is also going through this. Mm -hmm. um, because of, as many of us know, you know, we're not separate mm -hmm. from the breakdown of multiple systems all over the world. And in fact, you know, really it's that breakdown is the net result you could say of our collective and our inherited psycho-spiritual dysfunction, certainly in the West. And so really nothing out there that we see did not first emerge, you know, within here, within the individual psyche. And we all forget that. And so it's a kind of a, a spiritual and psychological pathology that we see all over the mainstream that was born internally, uh, that first went unchecked, mm -hmm. then became instantiated in culture, and then finally institutionalized, and even normalized as kind of business as usual. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's that's, there's a line, there's a golden thread there that we're kind of all coming back to. And that, you know, the indigenous of the planet are always looking to the West and saying, that's the, the kind of the Western sickness that we're all working through. And certainly those of us in the chronicles, we're working through that, you know, 
if you could verbalize, let's say, the, one of the core dynamics of this internal dysfunction, just to really make it as simple as possible to understand that we're all going through, it would be something along the lines of the fragmented part of the ego's struggle to find homeostasis within the larger system of the self. Mm. So it's the part within the larger whole and the surrender of the part within the larger whole. That's, that's one way of putting it. Mm-hmm. And once again, if we kind of go back over to the core narratives, you know, this narrative is as old as the hills. Mm-hmm. So in Greek mythology, for example, it's, this is the all-consuming and self-terminating egotism of, of the titans, <laughs> as well as the Olympians that you know, revolted against them, and the first humans even that came after both of them. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the kind of the despotism and fate of Sisyphus. Mm-hmm. Right, who, as we all know, is like kind of the corrupt ruler who, who endlessly had to push the boulder up the hill only to have it fall back down again. You know, I mean, Sisyphus is arguably the poster boy for consumerism and, and kind of capitalism. It's just like endless a- attempt at maximization mm-hmm. of everything, you know, and it kind of, it never quite attains fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in modern times, this is Agent Smith of the Matrix, you know, for those of us who love that movie, you know, the kind of endlessly replicating toxicity that wants to colonize the entire planet. You know, this is the nothing and the never-ending story for those of us who remember that movie. This is Goethe's Faustian bargain. This is Wagner's ring of power. Tolkien took it and made it the precious. It's Beowulf, it's the Khan, it's, it's the bomb. Mm-hmm. And it's a story that I think is perhaps no more intimately and viscerally played out than in the perfect storm of chronic illness. Mm-hmm. That's what's amazing about chronic illness. I sometimes say it's almost like it's never been a better time to be sick mm-hmm. because we've never had more access to all of this collective wisdom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's a good thing that that's a trend that we see over and over and over again in various ways because a trend is also a map. And if we can just kind of locate where we are on the map, it can really help us and show us where our next step might be I give you an example for all of this, which is that, you know, having gone through years of chronic illness and, and having seen patients gone through that, one of the things we begin to realize on that journey is that we were all being forced to confront our own personal micro-reflection of that myth and of the global meta-crisis internally. Mm-hmm. Right? And when we really begin to scrutinize that, hopefully with some guidance, we all begin to notice in one idiosyncratic way or another, that we too have not been embracing the multiplicity of our inner world in, let's say, appropriately equitable and holistic ways. Mm-hmm. You know, we too are usually overly identified with about 1% of ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, which is kind of an overly dominant aspect that kind of unwilling to acknowledge the other internal parts of the collective psyche mm-hmm. that include that subterranean orphanage of our inner children. Mm-hmm. And prior to the kind of suffering that will often go on for years and that will usually break us more times than we even believed was possible, mm-hmm. there's usually a, a, like a real unwillingness to face what our bodies and our emotions and our inner children are complaining about, are moaning about. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that, you know, that precarious ego that kind of holds itself on the surface of the greater self usually will believe that we have missions to accomplish and more important and bigger, better things to do, you know, and we're going to accomplish them, whether our bodies or anyone else likes it or not, because, you know, 
it's all up to us. And if we don't do it, then, you know, who else will? Mm -hmm. And even more than that, we, we believe we have no other choice. Mm -hmm. And so we will go years prior to that, that breakdown. Uh, and I myself is included in this. You know, I went through the years of that where kind of ignoring the unmetabolized, you name it, the vulnerability in our solar plexuses, right? The grief in our hearts, the rage stuck in our thyroid or our throats, right? Blocking our lymph. Because to actually kind of face all that would really mean to look every single one of those, you could say those inner children mm -hmm. that are attempting to cross the border from mm -hmm. our unconscious mind into our conscious mind, like directly in the eyes and to really let the full force of that searing pain kind of shatter us. Mm -hmm. And that's an experience that we all learn to divorce ourselves from very early on in life with violent suppression mm -hmm. and compartmentalization and an arresting of, of their, and as a result, our own healing and development. Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of, we all learn very early on to do everything we can to, you know, if you'll excuse the metaphor, to build a wall between ourselves and our own vast network of trauma hiding just under the surface of our awareness. Mm. And the reason for that is, and this is really a, a Western dysfunction that, that we're all working through. It's because we're kind of, we're all taught to leave the past in the past, mm -hmm. right? Because it makes, it makes no sense to us on some kind of distorted rational level to begin rehashing old wounds that we feel we either had nothing to do with or that we were too young to be part of. And so collectively, our, you know, our coat of arms becomes, you know, the ostrich with a banner that says ignore it for long enough, and it might just go away. And in so doing, we kind of forget that to the body and the psyche, there is no past. Mm -hmm. And really, the past is, is right here in the present. Mm -hmm. And it remains inside all of us, inside you, inside me. And perhaps most importantly, superimposed over our senses, like two entirely different negatively interfacing distortion fields, mm -hmm. right? That not only separate us, but constantly trigger us in one way or another that either inflate or deflate or demonize or canonize each other, mm -hmm. making it almost impossible for us to ever really like truly see each other clearly, mm -hmm. you know, or work in harmony or have lasting partnerships, which, which is the world that we live in. I mean, this is what our, we, you know, we, we look at our government, that's what we're facing. We look at a lot of our corporate environments that we're facing. We look at our families, that's what we're facing. Mm -hmm. And so we're working through that, you know, and mm -hmm. chronic illness. <laughs> and I just have so much respect for chronic illness, which is strange mm -hmm. thing to say, mm -hmm. but it's because it, it really serves as a tipping point and a kind of, you know, a transitional opportunity, right? Where the, the, just the burden of unconsciousness has hit its limit mm -hmm. and all the pain that we've been suppressing and resisting and, and maybe even projecting onto others, oftentimes for generations, kind of begins to spill out into physical symptoms. Mm -hmm. You know, until one day we wake up and it, once again, if you kind of extend the metaphor, we wake up and a revolution has taken place in the body. Mm -hmm. Our brains go on strike like a government shutdown and our <laughs> lymphatic system becomes clogged like, you know, protesters stopping traffic. <laughs> and our memory and our language skill breaks down like, like the decline of public discourse, right? Mm -hmm. And every conceivable system within us basically just says no mm -hmm. to that, that pathological business as usual, mm -hmm. you know? And so through this, we're invited to take that archetypal journey. And it's always 
once again, to just go back to the stories, right? That just have been telling us this over and over again. We're invited to take the journey into the back room, you know, where Oscar Wilde hid Dorian Gray's portrait, mm -hmm. you know, and into the untamed forest behind that, to the place beyond the pale, right? To the island of the lepers, to the land of the meek, mm -hmm. to the labyrinth that holds the minotaur, to the mine that holds the balrock, you know, to the ocean that holds the Leviathan, to Hades, to Valhalla. They're all saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. all saying the same thing and culturally and individually we're going there mm -hmm. until you know we come in contact with our dead you know and we experience our dark night or week or month or decade of the soul mm -hmm. and you know to bring back in you know the christian tradition you know we we look up and we say why have you forsaken me mm -hmm. you know and the curtain is kind of finally pulled back and what is usually revealed what is almost always revealed is not just a monster or a dragon or like a wizard, you know, but a child. It's always a child, mm -hmm. child looking for healing. And it's the big irony because, you know, at the end of the day, we're not afraid of, of monsters. We're afraid of children. We're mm -hmm. afraid of the inner. I mean, there's nothing more terrifying to the ego than like oh, the inner child that we come into contact with, mm -hmm. you know, and we could spend, you know, the entire hour talking about all the references from the beginning of time, you know, from, from Jesus to Nietzsche. Mm -hmm. about the child, mm -hmm. the child being the doorway, the child being the chrysalis, the child being the harbinger of chaos. Mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. And one of the postures that I invite some patients, let's say, who are kind of artistically minded to mm -hmm. adopt when you were in that, that chaotic moment, that moment where you become one with the child who has been dissociated mm -hmm. and you really come in contact with that, that pain, mm -hmm one of the postures that can really support us really is one of the iconic images from the Renaissance, which is Michelangelo's Pieta, mm. which is mother Mary holding the broken body of her son. Mm -hmm. I mean, th that is, if one could call the posture of being in suffering, something that you could do correctly, mm -hmm. the Pieta embodies that. Mm -hmm. If you're going to suffer, suffer like that. Mm -hmm. suffer as two mm -hmm. as some as as the brokenness being experiencing the suffering and as the divine mother holding the suffering mm -hmm. be both in that moment and we can take that door and that's that's behind door number one of the archetypal journey of illness you know that's like take door number one mm -hmm. you know or we can continue to do what we've been doing which is really it's not even to take door number two. It's, it's kind of not to take a door at all. And it's to remain kind of petrified and bolted to the concrete of the status quo, mm -hmm. which is business as usual. And that's the one where we, you know, and once again, we have to be really clear about this. I mean, does anyone ever take a door? I mean, I, one of the things I've realized about chronic illness is that, yeah, I mean, the door takes us, mm -hmm. you know, and I say that because I mean, if, I mean, I certainly thought I was someone for a long time who was just always rushing right into the, the, the psycho spiritual fire. But when chronic illness hit, I mean, you're running the other direction for mm -hmm. as long as you can until there's nowhere else to run and you're just kind of stuck in that space. Mm -hmm. And so when the door eventually takes you, you're finally relieved <laughs> from avoiding your pain and generating increasingly sophisticated complexes and projecting them onto someone else. Mm -hmm. You know, like once again, to extend the metaphor, like any industry that secretly dumps toxic waste into let's say a city water supply, 
or the ocean, or siphons it into a taxic, you know, a public tax burden or an indigenous population. You know, that's what we do when we project our pain. You know, why did this happen to me? Why did they do this to me? Why did God forsake me? Mm-hmm. You know, these are normal stages as well that we have to go through before we kind of finally like, all right, here I am. Mm-hmm. And it should be also said that kind of that process of generating psycho-emotional toxicity and kind of projecting it onto someone else is is worth noting as perhaps one of the first pollutions, you know, kind of one of the first human sacrifices, right? One of the first scapegoating that, that we all have fallen into. And we're still kind of working mm-hmm. through that today, like nationally, it's a very testing time, but that whole idea of scapegoating is, is, is gigantic in, in the process of going through chronic illness because it's a kind mm-hmm. of psychological sleight of hand that's mm-hmm. born of unhealed trauma. And it's how, it's how we can avoid the responsibility that chronic illness brings to our door. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and it goes all up and down the social hierarchy, right? And it's, I would even say it's how nonprofits and charities and advocacy groups and even like revolutions themselves that are good and true and right in some ways become contaminated, right? Mm-hmm. right? Too much blaming on something else or someone else, too much blaming and not, not enough responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, don't take it from me, you know, Leos Tolstoy knew it. And he said, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing themselves. You know, and Emerson said the same thing that Mm -hmm. all men plume themselves on the improvement of society and no man improves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Thoreau said it, things don't change, men do. do. Mm -hmm. You know, so, I mean, it's, I mean, this is a long standing process that is standing right in the way of that final tipping point within the full responsibility of why I'm unwell. Mm -hmm. Because there's so many things we can blame on chronic illness and, and, and many of the things we should but there is a, a real responsibility of a coming back that is kind of a doorway to healing. I think that's so essential. Mm-hmm. And so with all of that being said, you know, we can talk about some of the specific stages of the journey now, maybe in a little more detail, because there's like a practical, there are practical elements to this archetypal narrative that we can offer, but maybe I take a moment to just kind of, <laughs> kind of see what you think of where we're going here. Dr. Schaffner, what you think about? Yeah, no, you're so poetic, uh, Zach. No, I always love um, hearing you talk. And I think this is just a really empowering way to look at such really a, a devastating issue, right? Now, yeah. it's very easy to kind of stay in pain and suffering for good reason, you know, when we see what our patients yeah. go through, but to look at it through this lens of this complete opportunity for transformation and, you know, integrating parts of ourselves that we don't even know exist or are crying out to be healed. I mean, that's, you know, that's what I think, you know, this human experience, a big part of our human experience is all about, right? And there are many paths to that. And illness is one, you know, way that some humans go through this, right? And as you said, I, I think the really like the beautiful thing about this is I see you said it's this is there's a roadmap already and this is not a um, a new story right this is a time-tested you know generational um you know repetitive pattern that many people have given insights to how to how to walk through this process and to really transform and heal so yeah just keep going I think it's really um beautiful and you know I think also just maybe holding in the in the conversation there, you know, we're not trying to shame or blame or have people feel yeah. 
for being that that's the path they're walking. Cause I think there's that slippery slope where some people can yeah. maybe hear that, which of course I don't want them to, you know, get sure. that, you know, message, but, um, but yeah, just, yeah, keep going and kind of maybe walking us now through some of the tangible yeah. ways to start a healing in this process. Yeah. And you, you bring up one of the most essential, this is one of the essential points because so many of us have been tremendously hurt, mm-hmm. you know? So how, I mean, oftentimes it's almost like the more hurt you have been by any number of things, mm-hmm. oftentimes the, the more difficult it is to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. And that's just a func- a psychological function of life. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I blame the creator for that <laughs> with a smile, you know, but it's really difficult, but it is one of those things that keeps coming back, I think for all of us, you know, I mean, it's like, that's why, you know, when, when JFK said it, you know, what can you do? There was something around that self-responsibility that is, is so essential, mm-hmm. you know, Cain and Abel, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's one where it's like, if you go back to the Cain and Abel story, it's like, wh- what are these stories all about? You know, I'm kind of fascinated by them psychologically. You can, you can either look at Cain and Abel, or you can look at the Babylonian story of uh, Gilgamesh, Mm-hmm. You know, Gilgamesh fought with Enkidu and they became friends. They fought and they became friends and they went out. Mm-hmm. Cain was jealous of Abel and killed him. So, you know, it's like Congress could either decide like either they're going to follow Cain and Abel or they're going to fi- follow Gilgamesh. You, you, those are your choices, right? You either kind of like find the camaraderie with those you fight with and you gain deeper trust mm-hmm. or we go the other way, you know? And so there's so much more to say about that, but if we were to kind of offer a few, take the story and offer a few kind of practical skills. And I, I think I'd like to kind of extend the Greek mythological story because I find that so, so interesting and so kind of rich for us. Mm-hmm. Because if you're gonna kind of, be, oftentimes gonna begin the journey, you're going to begin with a confrontation, let's say of the multi-headed dog Cerebus that guards the underworld. Mm-hmm. And the way that I like to see Cerebus is it's that multi-headed barking endless stream of rationalizations Mm -hmm. for why you should not enter the underworld for why you should not enter your pain you should Mm -hmm. avoid at all costs Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so that first process for many of us is is really an intellectual one Mm -hmm. um and you see that with individuals they're really their center of gravity is very much in the head they're in the process of making that journey into the body into the heart into the emotions and they are you know, they're kind of snatched by that barking dog. And that whole process, you could say, requires one primary realization that that often takes months, if not years, to internalize, which is that none of us can really, at least in the beginning, ever really truly believe anything we think. Sounds like a strange thing to some people, but you can't really, we can't really believe anything we hear in our heads. And in fact, much of what we do think or hear in our heads, not only do we not agree with, but really isn't even true. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the kind of the foundations of like, you know, the Buddhist tradition, let's say. And so that's a, that's a huge journey. And for patients who are at that stage, you know, some of the best modalities might include counseling, traditional talk therapy, mindfulness is great, even EMDR, EFT, even DNRS, support groups, 12-step programs. Mm-hmm. And just to kind of get a secondary, to always to kind of separate the fusion between the voices in the head. Mm-hmm. That is a tremendously healing process. Mm-hmm. For so many of us, I, I certainly went through years of being tormented by the voices in my head. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And I always kind of have been amused by the story that somehow someone managed to extrapolate from like the earliest times when the neocortex was really developing. And apparently in those early, early stages, because we often forget this, but if you can imagine there was a time in human history where we didn't have a voice in our head because we hadn't developed it yet. And then all of a sudden <laughs> we started hearing this thing. And I always think it's just unbelievable to imagine in those early days when individuals started hearing those, these voices that are just so common in our heads, they either thought it was one of two things. Either they thought it was the voice of God speaking to them, but what they quickly realized also was maybe it was the voice of the devil. Mm. I mean, you have such like compassion for those people just going through what was, you know, a phenomenological and biological evolution. I mean, holy, I mean, it must have been shocking, absolutely shocking. And as Westerners, you know, we have those voices on steroids. Mm -hmm. And that will, if, if, if those of us who kind of are maintain fusion with all of that, it can become very taxing on the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so we want to kind of understand as well that, that our mythologies and our stories over time have really spoken to us through those journeys too. Mm -hmm. And so if we extend the Greek myth after we've tangled with Cerebus, you know, we find ourselves often with the boatmen of the underworld, mm -hmm. right? And the rivers of the underworld and the boatman who was called Karan. And I love this because I used to kind of, I used to imagine Karan as this kind of Venetian gondolier who kind of helped us through to the Valley of the Dead mm -hmm. and who I now identify more with like Laird Hamilton helping you through like a hundred year storm because mm -hmm. it's a lot more turbulent. But with Karan and the underworld, and the rivers, we're, we're really invited to learn emotional literacy and fluency. Mm -hmm. We're really invited to kind of navigate those internal emotional waters, which really involve being able to attune to unpleasant emotions in the body mm -hmm. and untangle them and dissolve them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's very difficult, if not impossible to do, if you're stuck in the head, if you're stuck in the mind, mm -hmm. because it's kind of like trying to clean out the basement by vacuuming the attic. <laughs> you know, the, the, they're in two entirely different internal realms with modes of communication and different needs. And so you really can't solve emotional issues by simply thinking about them. And, and this is still not widely uh, appreciated. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, some of the best modalities for that would include, you know, things that, that I, you know, you know, and many of us know, like somatic experiencing, certain forms of hypnotherapy, transomatic dialogue, internally fam internal family systems is very good for those birth, those first two phase stages, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it also bears mentioning that it's no coincidence that, you know, the Greek underworld has rivers, mm -hmm. you know, and that Karin takes us in a boat. Mm -hmm. You know, this again is like very valuable for individuals to kind of see this whole map of what they're often going to go through mm -hmm. when they're on a journey of chronic illness. Because, you know, why rivers? Why a boat? Why not a chariot? Why not a horse or a flying griffin? Well, it's because when you begin to learn to, to swim in those emotional waters, too much too soon can capsize you. Mm -hmm. This is really important for us to know. Mm -hmm. And also, this is not widely appreciated by, I think, a lot of practitioners in the psycho-spiritual realm. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would go back to, let's say, I would go back to Edward Edinger, who was one of the great Jungian analysts. And he spoke of this phenomenon like so clearly and eloquently. And he said, you know, it's helpful to liken the ego to a fishing boat because a boat can only take on a certain amount of fish mm -hmm. and not more than it can hold. 
And he said the load must be commensurate with its size, which means that if you're fishing in a small rowing boat and you catch a whale and you pull it in, you know, you got to be careful because you might go under. And of course, going under just all that means is being triggered into a trauma state, into a trauma pattern, mm-hmm. which is something that we are going to be including in our education of children, you know, more and more over time. And, and you know, someone like Dan Siegel is already doing good work in this. And he's telling us all, you know, tell your, just start talking to your children about having an upstairs brain and a downstairs brain, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of the neocortex and the reptilian. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you step into that trauma pattern, you know, you're in your downstairs brain now. (laughs) And it's brilliant. It's, it's a very, very simple way of objectifying what is otherwise, I mean, for just for most adults is a completely confusing, totally invisible, often imperceptible, intra subjective experience of, of drifting into dysregulation, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's that kind of experience of the two negatively, what I call the negatively interfacing distortion fields that everybody goes through. I always say there's no such thing as small talk. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I mean, I don't want to you know, wig anyone out, but like it, we're constantly navigating these things. And what we're going to be doing over these, you know, coming decades is caring for each other mm-hmm. more and more deeply to understand that there's, there's fish everywhere and we're in boats and mm-hmm. we want to, you know, to really care for one another is to constantly be aware of of our upstairs brain and our downstairs brain and these negatively interfacing distortion fields and our kind of movement towards inflating ourselves, deflating ourselves, inflating the other, deflating that. And it's just like, that's what we're working through. It's like a minefield that we're mm-hmm. mining. And so once we start to talk about trauma, mm-hmm. we can talk about, there's no better metaphor than the exiled fair maiden, let's say, or the gold that is being defended by the dragon. Mm-hmm. You know, so once again, every single time we're talking about trauma, if you want to think about it in story form, mm-hmm. you think about it as the dragon that is guarding the fair maiden or the child or the gold. Mm-hmm. And we all know there are many, many stories that have you know, brought that to light. And this is something that, we, that, that actually men forget a lot, I will say that, when, when facing a woman's dragon. <laughs> And what they forget and what we, what we forget is that if you hurt the dragon, you also hurt the fair maiden mm-hmm. because they're not separate. Mm-hmm. They're one and the same. Mm-hmm. The maiden is the, is the dragon. The gold is the dragon. Mm-hmm. And the appropriate approach for all of this is to hold strong when the dragon attacks you and to let it burn you with its fire until it knows that you're actually trustworthy. Mm-hmm. You're trustworthy not, not to betray it, to hurt it, to fall into dysregulation yourself, to entangle into a trauma contract. Mm-hmm. And so really the price of admission to connect with that exiled wound is that, that grounding space mm-hmm. right? and the understanding of that architecture, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that's the taming of the dragon in the movie Avatar. You know, that's what happens in the Matrix Part 3 when Neo stops fighting Agent Smith's and just lets him consume him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like the agony box in, in Frank Herbert's Dune, or more recently, that's like Jon Snow when he faced Daenerys' dragon for those of us who watched Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. He faced her dragon and he didn't flinch and they had kind of a, not a standoff, but there was a respect there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to return to Edinger's metaphor, he reminds us all kind of as, as kind of an invitation, you know, face the dragon because it's often more dangerous to avoid it. Mm -hmm. Because if we try to avoid it with our traumas, it will often get us from behind. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and that's, you know, and by that, he, that's a real thing. That's not just some, some kind of cute saying. Mm-hmm. What he's really talking about is that our traumas, all of our traumas are attractor sites. Mm-hmm. And we've spoken about this before because it was you guys, the doctors at, at Sophia that really illuminated to me to the psychological analogy in the receptor site of the mineral that if a mineral gets bumped out, a heavy metal will, will actually mm-hmm. attach onto it. I see that correlate, kind of an esoteric correlate with the psychological trauma experience, mm-hmm. that they're attractor sites that will continue to draw us into entanglements over and over again mm-hmm. until we face them, which is you know what Freud referred to as the repetition compulsion mm-hmm. or what Bert Hellinger referred to generationally as anniversary syndrome mm-hmm. or what Uspensky, who was the archivist essentially of Gurdjieff called the eternal return. Mm-hmm. So they're all talking about it. They're mm-hmm. all talking about it. I mean, they're all, hel- they're all desperately doing what they can to help us to really just normalize the journey itself mm-hmm. as opposed to the avoidance of it, which, which kind of a lot of modern culture has been doing. You know, Freud also said, you know, he said, we repeat what we, what we do not remember. Mm. And, and honestly, I don't know why he didn't just say we repeat what we're trying to remember. but you know it's kind of the same thing and so we're kind of getting to where i would conclude here Mm -hmm. but when we're talking about trauma of course and if we begin to explore all of these things you know you've you you know depth psychology Jungian psychology polyvagal theory Mm -hmm. um you know the realm of you know we just voted in psilocybin in oregon which was quite a thing Mm -hmm. uh i would say globally considering that the, the healing power, you know, the Western enlightenment really started in the sixties with mm-hmm. a very undisciplined and ungainly and qu- quite dramatic and with almost many downsides to it, but an explosion of psychedelics and they're called, you know, and it's, it's the beginning, the healing power of psychedelics is also coming forth now mm-hmm. in ways that are much more conservative. And I say that in a positive sense. So there are multiple ways that we're all working with this shamanism, you know, mm-hmm. um, many of the modalities that, you know, we used it so fear and you guys were always incredible at just pulling things in that were brand new and exploring and testing those out. And I will, I'll never forget those experiences of just being a receptor site for the, the best that was out there. And so to kind of end this piece, once again, what we're coming back to is just this painstaking removal uh, of landmines within our psyches. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all, we're all just a trauma field, <laughs> all of us. And every time you get a trauma field that superimposes onto another trauma field in any kind of relationship, you know, you've got double the minds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so part of what we're doing is really supporting one another saying like, we're going to support each other just to keep demining and getting really good at demining. Mm-hmm. And if we can take that within that, that larger meta perspective of the journey of the heroic quest of the Greek myth or na- you name any good myth is saying more or less the same thing. We are going back to the underworld and we are redeeming our dead. Mm-hmm not just the dead of our own lives, the dead of our family, the dead of our nations, mm-hmm. the dead of our ancestors. Like that's why we're always interested in the dead because they're, they're, they're here walking with us, mm-hmm. you know, and they're trying to get our attention. Mm-hmm. And so um, we want to embrace that as, mm-hmm. as a journey worth taking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe I just take a, take a pause there. <laughs> Yeah, so much to reflect upon and um, so beautifully stated, right? And I Mm. think, you know, many people, you know, are identifying with this and seeing maybe this 
you know, this new perspective perhaps for how they can look at this deeper level of, you know, why they're going through an experience like a chronic illness. And so you touched on some tools and some therapeutics and some approaches. So, you know, for those who want to open door number one or go through this process, you know, in your experience, Zach, where, you know, what do you feel like are some of the most impactful and meaningful ways to really, you know, heal, heal this piece of ourselves? Yeah. The reason a cliche is a cliche is just because it's true. (laughs) And one of the cliches for that opening journey is to really trust yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you're not sure and you're confused, ask someone you trust, Mm -hmm. ask the partner, ask the best friend, Mm -hmm. you know, allow yourself to be guided because we can't force ourselves along these, these journeys. We just, we just absolutely can't. We have to just trust and take one step at a time. And, you know, I've been through this journey long enough that you know it's scary in the beginning and i think we we don't realize how afraid we are and we just have to be very compassionate around that what we will fear or what we will experience as fear usually is anger or even numbness so we won't really be aware that we're afraid what we will experience fear as is simply a dismissal of yeah. something a lot of the times like we will we will regularly dismiss for long periods of time what actually might be the right way is like irritating That's how fear will actually present itself on the surface to us as it arises, as an irritation, Mm -hmm. as an anger, Mm -hmm. as a numbness, as a a zoning out. Mm -hmm. So something that actually is like the, you know, something that really is valuable to us, we'll listen to and we'll zone out, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's also an indication that that actually may be too much too soon. So Mm -hmm. we also want to trust that as well. The process of healing is not a kind of a white knuckle gripping onto the steering wheel and just like hitting the gas and like, you know, driving straight for healing. That's the, not how we do it. But there is a commitment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what usually commits us is, you know, a tragedy or a breakup or a chronic illness. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's where we heal, where we try a million things to like avoid the underworld. Let's just find the silver bullet, find the practitioner, find, let's find a shaman who's going to wave the magic wand. And, you know, some of them do, (laughs) you know, let's find someone who just, just give me the pill, Mm -hmm. give me the antibiotic. Let's just be done with it. Mm -hmm. And what you find in the deeper psyche is that, um, you know, we've been doing that now, even institutionally for years and years and years and years. You see it in corporate America. You know, I've worked in corporate America. Man, anything to do the hard work. I'll do anything I can to get out of the hard work. And and so that's one of the kind of morals that I see with just life itself. And maybe to give a more specific answer, because I like to cut the deck almost like the the I Ching, you know, give one answer, then you give another answer. (laughs) You know, one of the things, one of the most important things I think we can do today to get back in touch with who we really are is to write down our dreams. I think this is going to be something that the future practitioners and, and, and are going to look back on this time and just we're going to be baffled at how, how we lost literally the mother tongue of the psyche and the higher self. We forgot the language. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it actually became, it, it, we normalized believing the dreams didn't make sense mm-hmm. or were kind of like, like the same way that we kind of saw, you know, like junk DNA. Oh yeah. It's just junk. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. Like this is, this is the way the self speaks to us. And if you really understand how to not in, 
interpret, but how to translate mm -hmm. a dream. It guides you, guides you very specifically. That's something really, really important. Mm -hmm. You know, and I have a ton of principles about dreams. One of my principles is uh, that collectively we have a, we have a positive dream interpretation bias. Mm -hmm. So we have a bias around positively interpreting our dreams. If you're listening to a dream correctly, I, I think 80% of the time, it's actually nudging you and it's being, it's, it's going like this. It's like, go over there, go over there. Like that's when, you know, the dreaming mind needs and wants to come in. You know, that's what reoccurring dreams are. Like mm -hmm. the dream only needs to reoccur if we're not listening, mm -hmm. you know? So we want to be incorporating that. That's like, the connection to the deeper self. And I think if we just take a little bit of notice of those, mm -hmm. um, they'll, they'll guide us and they'll give us strength. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that would be one answer I could give, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's, um, you know, really wise. And, you know, isn't it interesting too, Zach, that sometimes in the depths of chronic illness, people aren't, they don't dream or they don't have the experience mm -hmm. of dreaming or part of my job is to how to, you know, share, like shift their biochemistry so they can start dreaming again. But it, it's an interesting, you know, as you share that, I'm like, yeah, my patients really don't feel like they're dreaming anymore, or they just don't remember their dreams, you know, so um, connecting and just setting the intention to create more awareness around that process. I think, you know, that's a, a start. And do you have any, I guess, resources that you would want to share people wanted to start looking at dream interpretation or how that could, you know, start giving yeah. them clues. Yeah, actually a great resource. And, and just thank you. You, you, you're all, you always make such great connections, Dr. Schaffner, and you're so right to bring that up, how difficult it can be and how dream, the dreaming mind will simply disappear. And there are multiple reasons for that. But also we, you know, one thing I have noticed is that when we just putting a book a, a journal by your bedside table with a pen and just asking for it, just being like, all right, I'm here. I'm sorry. I haven't been listening. I'm sorry. I've been whatever. Like I'm here. The dreaming mind will often can break through even some of the, the, you know, the biggest Herx responses or, you know, brain fog. It would can actually bust through that. But in terms of resources, there's an amazing resource that just started. It was three Jungian analysts that started a podcast recently called this Jungian life. And it's, it's quite recent. I just, I noticed it immediately and they do a dream interpretation at the end of every, oh, every one of the podcasts. And these guys are excellent. They're great. I mean, and they're really showing people some of the ways, I mean, it's, you know, it's the Neo-Jungians I would say have got the best, you know, and this is a hundred years of dream interpretation. This is Edward Edinger. This is um, Mary Louise von Franz. These are the guys who went back and they said, all right, Mary Louise von Franz, God bless her soul. She was one of Jung's greatest students. I mean, she shouldn't even be called a student. She was just a, a titan in her, own, mm -hmm. in her own right. And she went through all the stories, all the fairy tales over everything and started to understand that all of these stories that we've been telling ourselves for 6,000 years, essentially, were essentially rendered dreams. Mm -hmm. They're dreams that are rendered and they've been gone over and over and over and over. And so neo-Jungians probably are, are the best dream interpreters. James Hillman has done some good books on that. I think the dream in the unconscious is one. Um, but that's for people who want to understand that, check that podcast out. It'll immediately give you a wonderful experience of it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'm going to check that out. And then Zach, you mentioned, you know, the work of somatic experiencing and I yeah. know that you studied with 
Peter Levine. And can you, I think that's a really relevant perspective and therapy to share with people because as you share, you know, there's of course our mind um, and then there's this whole storage of information and trauma and some of the other speakers are talking about it's yeah. in our biofield, it's in our fascia, it's, it's not in the brain, it's, it's in the body. And so can you just share a little bit um, more about your work and for people, this might even be a new term yeah. for some people. So what are we talking about? Yeah. So it's one of those conversations that, you know, you want to be very sensitive around because it goes real deep, real quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so one of the things that we're starting to really understand when, especially when you do this work for a long period of time is, as I said, we're all swimming in each other's biofields mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's kind of wild. And you know, there's a, there's a, you know, I would say a, a lot of people are just not aware of that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. The, just the general level of cultural trauma that we're, we're we've all been born into, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at our parents, you look at our grandparents, you keep going back the generations and what you find is, you know, to the, I mean, they've been through world wars and we we're, you know, we're still full of wars is that we get born into this by into this, these fields and we just have to throw down walls immediately. And that's, that's also why I think the symbol of the wall is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And this is a very nuanced conversation to have, right? But it's really important for us, especially when we do our work, to have effective walls, mm-hmm. right? Now, this is not a political conversation. This is a psychological conversation. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we're all still working through is healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. And what most of us were born into by no fault of our own and no fault of our parents and no fault of culture, but just what we have inherited and what we've had to do simply to continue surviving as a species is we've had to kind of spread the trauma to as all members of the family a little too excessively. We haven't had the wherewithal to kind of hold it in. And we're just starting to learn what that is to be good parents, to kind of hold the trauma in from our children, right? To actually create walls so that it doesn't actually flow just willy-nilly into our children. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, especially a lot of chronic illness individuals, and I've, I've written about this, you know, there is a tremendous contingent of the chronic illness population. You know, they're like the sensitive old soul who comes into the family unit and it's almost if their biofield is saying, yeah, I'm, I'm big, I'm deep, I'm sensitive, and I'm here to help. And the entire family and lineage just goes great and just dumps onto them, you know, and it's this tidal wave that that child just kind of completely takes on. Mm -hmm. And I always, you know, kind of quip that oftentimes they, they're like the wizard in the family of muggles. Mm -hmm. And this is not to disparage muggles. It just means that like a wizard who hasn't really taken on their wizardness yet is someone who takes on the woes of everyone. Mm -hmm. doesn't really have good walls yet because the minute you put up a wall, you're going to break your own heart. Mm -hmm be really clear about that nuance because a wall is a heartbreak because a wall is saying no. And it's often saying no to someone you love, someone you care about. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about all of this energetic work, number one, we have to understand the architecture. Mm -hmm. So this is like, we have to understand that journey into the unconscious to meet the dead, Mm -hmm. to meet the dragon and the child or the dragon and the fair maiden or the dragon and the the gold, right? We have to understand that story that like Hollywood in the best of their times continues to show us. It just has to be something that we just know. Mm-hmm. And we need to be teaching this at some point to our young people. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that for me is, as you well know, you know, we're exploring some courses in the near future. And, and one of my 
just passions is this idea of a standard model of healthy consciousness, mm. right? Because, you know, it's, it's been a few hundred years. We've, we've had a pretty good map of the world and we've had a pretty good, you know, map of anatomy. Mm-hmm. So geography, anatomy, we got, right? But the psyche, not so good. And this is the thing we're swimming in 24-7. Like we're not swimming in the map of the world 24-7. We're not, I mean, biology, that's pretty important. That's your guys' realm, right? So we got that one down. Thank you, Gray, and all the others who came before him, right? But, but the psyche, we, you know, we've got multiple maps right now. And so it's a time, I think, to coalesce. It's a great time to purify everything we've got into something that is just very straightforward, that we can stand and be like, all right, we got to know this back to front. We've got to normalize this because we've really normalized not going inside. We've really normalized it and it's an issue. Yeah, that was another meandering answer to your question, but I would just say so, the architecture mm-hmm. and then to trust that we can go and trust that we can go fishing, trust mm-hmm. that we can take that, that boat and, and that it's a journey that's going to open up wonderful things in life. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it just is. Nothing... You know, no, no journey that's worth taking is easy. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, for all those who are listening, you know, not only are you giving us, you know, this beautiful experience coming from this, or beautiful explanation coming from experience, rather, not only experience with working with people, but also your your own, you know, journey. So I, I always like to reiterate that because, you know, hope is also a very powerful, you know, emotion to connect with. And, mm. you know, many people who go through the chronic illness journey struggle with hope, you know, at times, you know, mm. and I think it's, you're healthy, you live this vibrant life, you're, you know, you transformed your healing journey into helping others, you know, so just, I just want to, you know, presence that you've walked this, you know, you walk through this journey, you know, yeah. this is not a, just a thought, this is a deep, profound experience that life has taught you. Yeah. And it's a trend, you know, Frodo was, you know, stabbed by, um, you know, the dark nights in the Lord of the Rings. And mm-hmm. uh, it's not just me. I mean, there's a trend of individuals who go through this, you know, and there are a million ways to fall off the track and we want to support everyone we can to bring themselves back to that track. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why have you forsaken me? I mean, it's like, I, I go back to these, you know, it's been, it's been a, just a revelation to me to go back to these ancient stories that have outlived empires. Mm-hmm. That's incredible that a story, something that is just told has outlived empires it's Mm -hmm. baffling and the reason is because it's archetypal it's reason because it grabs us and you don't forget it you know it's like why i always go back like anyone who has lost hope just remember that you know especially if they're if they sway towards the 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 christian tradition Mm -hmm. i embrace all the traditions you know it's like why the first one of the first things the first noble truth of the buddha you know life is suffering Mm -hmm. you know and that there's a way out of it right that's that's what he said and then you know why it's like the cross the cross. Why is the cross? Why is being crucified the image of Christianity? You know, it's like, I hated that. I couldn't stand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not religious per se. I'm, I'm kind of logocentric. That's what I would, I would call myself a logocentrist, which is the idea that I'm, my religion is very much as best that I can find mm-hmm. the underlying pattern of life. Like what is life attempting to do with us? Mm-hmm. What is it trying to do? And the stories show us that over and over again. And so if you're suffering, you're in good company. (laughs) You're in the best company. Mm -hmm. Um, And to know that there is a way through and we just want to kind of, you go back to the Pieta, you know, I've been, I was thinking about this, uh, you know, there are a lot of people even now that I, 
I work with. And, you know, it's, it's, and I can go back to my own journey. They're like hours and days and weeks and months where you're in the chrysalis. Mm-hmm. What's the chrysalis? I mean, you, you just, you close your eyes and all that's happening is that you're in pain. Mm-hmm. You can't move. You can't really do anything. You just, you kind of become one with your pain. Mm-hmm. Let go into that place is what I would say. Mm-hmm. It sounds counterintuitive, mm-hmm. but that's what logocentricity is all about. If we fight the chrysalis, that's a form of autoimmunity. Mm-hmm. But of course, once again, it just to be really clear, like there's nothing that fun about it. It's mm-hmm. not fun. We, it's counterintuitive to surrender into that place, but it can be done. There is a process of kind of letting yourself fall into that place and just kind of generating what love you can in the moment mm-hmm. of oftentimes dissociative agony, mm-hmm. you know, and that is the chrysalis. And that's why I go back to Michelangelo's Pieta. You know, the, I saw the Pieta, you know, really only at the end of my journey. Mm-hmm. But when I noted, when I saw it and I was kind of really just meditating on it and I thought, huh, that is the phenomenological posture of the chrysalis mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. And if you're lucky somewhere along that journey, you might also experience, you know, that other, that beautiful, incredible sculpture that anyone can Google, which is the ecstasy of St. Teresa, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just this kind of confrontation with the divine, you know, and it's kind of, it's, it's shattering. And if you really go into the understanding of that, it's, it's also terrible. It's all of it. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not like a Hollywood rom-com, <laughs> it's kind of annihilating, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and that's St. John of, uh, St. John of the Cross's Dark Night of the Soul, you know, so it's like you're in good company when you're in chronic illness. There's a, it's a big irony, and I, I, I still have a hesitation to say it, but I always attempt when we're still doing the good work of going in and untangling whatever traumas are in there, because at the end of the day, it also is, there is a mechanics to it. There is a mechanics to like, where are the trauma fields? What organs are they in? Mm-hmm. What are the corresponding emotions to the organs what are the behaviors right that are kind of naturally moving with the emotions with the organs that connect to the immune system i mean we can actually make connections all the way up and down the bioenergetic hierarchy and that's really really valuable for people but at the end of the day a lot of the good work is is really just that phenomenological posture of like being with the dead being with the underworld being with the child mm-hmm and learning to generate that compassion and that care and that divine connection. Mm-hmm. Like that's the elixir mm-hmm. in a way. That's the drop mm-hmm. that, that will just bleach the darkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's a, real, that's a real energetic process that all of these modalities are, you know, we're in a modality rich time, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And so all of them are actually attempting to do that. Um, they're all attempting to kind of, pierce through the archetypal film of what's going on in specific areas saying like, oh, somatic experience really helps here. EMDR really helps here. Mm -hmm. We want to recognize that all the modalities are, all they're simply doing is they've pierced through the, that invisible veil to a, a, a moment and a part of the journey. And some do wider parts of the journey. Some do more inclusive and some do less and some do more depthful parts of the journey and some don't, you know, and so it's like, that's what we're working with. And it's, it's an incredible time for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you get me all excited when we start talking yeah. about it. 
that's exciting. It is, it is. Well, Zach, you gave us a lot to digest and explore and, you know, a really, I, I, I feel like very healing narrative and perspective for anyone who's going, you know, through the chronic illness journey. As we wrap up our conversation, Zach, is there anything else on your mind or your heart or anything else you want to um, share in the context of this conversation? Um, I definitely want to thank you, Dr. Mm-hmm. Schaffner, uh, for all that you do, um, for just bringing so much information to everyone. You know, just the elegant and like incredibly comprehensive mm-hmm. and complexity embracing way that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the doctors that are in the network that we swim in just really incredible people Mm -hmm. and of course just the patients we're all we're all learning from one another Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and it's just an ongoing feedback loop this incredible feedback loop and you know when we're in that loop and we're making it increasingly explicit because i think we're moving into those directions we're really learning from everybody that's just healing that's healing because it's it's also the as we said in the beginning the part finding equilibrium and homeostatic balance within the larger system. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a distributed intelligence that we're working with these days. And I just find that incredible. I find that absolutely incredible that there's a distributed intelligence that certainly at least the, 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 the chronic illness field that we move in, I see it happening. And I think that's incredible mm-hmm. because, you know, all of anybody who's working with complexity theory or systems theory in any field, like that's the holy grail, mm-hmm. you know, the distributed intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's part of the psyche too. Like the psyche, we don't, we don't want to be, we don't have a psyche that is ruled by the 1%. Mm-hmm. That's not political. It's, mm-hmm. it's phenomenological. We want a distributed intelligence where, okay, there's a certain higher self that is kind of at least ready to jump in, mm-hmm. but we're moving in multiple different areas at multiple different times. We want that to be, you know, kind of a, like a garden, you know, it's a garden. Mm -hmm. And that's where the trauma field is coming back. Actually, if you think about it, Mm -hmm. you know, all of us were born in a modern world. It's like a trauma field, but really it's a, it's a garden to come back to the original metaphors, right? Where we left the garden. Now it's a killing, you know, it's turned into a killing field and princess Diana did some good work there and many others to remove the mines. And we're still coming back to a place where there are no mines. And that, that I think is what we're all doing Mm -hmm. Um, as practitioners as patients, as family members, as communities. It's like, let's remove minds and just keep extending mm-hmm. the well-being of that garden, the safety of that garden, the sanctuary of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. And very beautifully said and very, you know, humbling in this world that we both mm-hmm. interact in. And, you know, Michael, for someone's like these and connecting with people like you or just how do we all yeah, work together and tighten up those, you know, feedback loops and those Mm -hmm. experiences so we can continue to give people, you know, an accelerated, elegant path to healing if that's their path, right? You know, so, so no, I just so appreciate your time and the beautiful work you do. And if people want to learn more about working with you or just learn more about your work, where can they find you, Zach? Yeah, they can just go to ZacharyFetter.com. Um, and you know, we're going to be doing some, some courses in the near future. I'm excited by that. Um, I'm probably going to be launching a few smaller intimate ones as I build up my, this standard model of healthy consciousness. I'm, I'm really interested in kind of, as we said, the, really the meta, the meta pattern 
and the meta structure of the psyche, especially for the individual going through chronic illness. So we're going to be rolling some of those out and we want to have people jump in and experience it and see what that meta pattern looks like for them so that they can bring it into their, frankly, into their families. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what we want. We want this to be something that is no longer kind of like a rarefied field. You know, there are a lot of things that we can farm out to someone else. You can farm out your taxes, you can farm out whatever, you know, you can't farm out your psyche. Yeah. You can't, and you can't, because it's just, you know, it's it's just going to be repeated in multiple ways all around you. So we're going to be releasing a few of those soon, and we would love people to join us, keep going along this this journey with us. That's, mm-hmm. that's the fun part. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Ken Zach. It was really a wonderful interview and I'm sure everyone learned so much so thank you oh you're so welcome Dr. Shackman thank you thank you so much for joining us here on the Spectrum of Health podcast I hope that you really enjoyed this interview with Zachary if you wouldn't mind please go to Apple or Spotify podcast and rate and or review the podcast if you haven't already done so each review helps others find out about the show And I know that Dr. Christine just loves to read all the new reviews. So thank you again for listening and have a beautiful day.